are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thanks, Laura, for reading for us. Laura, one of our many educators who is back in the halls of the school and going about her work. I love this time of year to head into back-to-school season. I was thinking back to what it's like as a kid to open up a brand new box of crayons and to see all those colorful tips all lined up in a row. I remember what it was like to have to find your locker or find your desk. And I remember meeting, of course, each year my new teacher. And it's amazing how those names stick with you, isn't it? All these years later, you can still remember. I remember how Mrs. Warnicky in second grade would read to us. And I remember how Mr. Stephan in third grade would tell jokes and make us laugh. And I remember how Mrs. Gavin in fourth grade told me that it was completely inappropriate when I asked the student teacher if she was single. She was really nice. I thought maybe I had a chance. <laughs> Mrs. Gavin also went to my church growing up, which made that especially awkward. <laughs> I love this time of year when we get to, above all, send our young missionaries back into school. And that's the mindset here at the Y Church that we seek to give our kids and our students. You know, we don't just go to school to get stuff, to get an education, to get on the team, to get a good group of friends, but we also go to school to give, to give, to give others the hope of Christ, to give others the love of Jesus in big and small ways in how we treat others and in what we say in how we act in sharing the gospel. 
And so I always think of back to school as kind of back to the mission field. And today's shift back into Romans could not come at a better time. After four months in the Gospel of Mark, we now return to Romans for the second half. We did the first half in the early part of the year. And at the time, I remember telling you that it's kind of like going to your favorite restaurant and you order this big, delicious meal. And as soon as it arrives, you know you're going to need a to-go box. For most of us, anyway. Maybe not our teenage guys. But, you know, that plate lands in front of you and you already know that you're not going to make it. We took Romans in two halves just because there's so much there. Many consider this to be one of the greatest books in the entire Bible. So we have 66 books all together in the Bible, and each one is important, each one inspired by God. And yet there are some that are especially central to the overall message, what we talk about with kids sometimes, the big story of the Bible. And Romans is one of those, 16 chapters of some of the richest spiritual food that you could ever have. And so in the first part of the year, we did Romans 1 to 8 back in the winter of this year after New Year's. And now we're taking up Romans 9 through 16 for the fall. And as I said, I don't think it could have come at a better time. Because in chapters 1 through 8, it's all about the relationship from you up to God. It's about this vertical relationship And how he makes you his child. But then in the second half, the focus goes horizontal. And now it's all about how you and I are relating to others around us. How to be the people of God. And so I say the timing couldn't be better because I do not remember a more contentious time in our country than the one that we are in right now and have been navigating. Some of you lived a good while longer than I have, and so maybe other moments come to your mind, but at least in my little life, I cannot remember it ever being this bad. I can't ever remember such division and accusations and really complete disrespect, even when we disagree that we don't treat each other well. And I realize for me as a Christian, I can get sucked into this thing. I can get pulled right down into the muck if I'm not careful. And that's not who I want to be. It's not who God has called us to be as his people. And so what an opportunity we have in God's timing. I mean, we set this up over a year ago that we would be studying these passages right now. And here we are with a tremendous opportunity for the next 10 weeks. You and I get to come together on Sunday mornings and study throughout the week and meet as Y groups and think about this different way of how to be the people of God. I remember in elementary school, too, there was a song that frankly drove me a little crazy, and that was this one where it goes, head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Remember that one? And then there's this other part with the eyes and the mouth, and and it goes faster and faster, and I could never quite keep up or keep track of what I was doing. So I simplified it for today. And Katie, with such a wonderful drawing, I don't know who did that, but very talented. It's just going to be three things. These three body parts that I want us to remember today and think about, and that is heart, mouth, and feet. That's it. So that would be a real quick song. Heart, mouth, and feet, and it's over. And I want to teach you some actions to go with it. So kids, this is the table question. We'll get a chance to practice this a few times. All right, so here is the message today. Believe in your heart, 
declare with your mouth, go with your feet. You got it? Believe in your heart, declare with your mouth, go with your feet. So let's look at Romans chapter 10. While the second half of Romans begins with chapter 9, we're actually picking it up in chapter 10. Not because chapter 9 would not be worthwhile. That's not at all the case. But it's just that we would be here all year if we tried to cover every single verse of Romans. And our verses today in chapter 10 are kind of this representative portion of Romans 9 through 11. Those three chapters are a unique section of Romans where Paul deals specifically with the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and their relationship with God. And we've often used this analogy, I'll remind you of it again this morning, that of a crescendo. Any of you kids take piano lessons, or you're in band, or you're in choir. So you might be familiar with what a crescendo does. The crescendo means that the music is supposed to gradually get louder. Yes, some of you know exactly what it is. And it's indicated by this long sideways V that starts with a point, and then the two lines travel further and further apart as the music gets louder. And so in the story of the Bible, this demonstrates how God goes about rescuing his people after we fell into sin. And it starts in the Old Testament with one man, with Abraham. And so that's the point of the crescendo. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And out of that son, I'm going to give you a family. And out of that family, I'm going to make 12 tribes. And out of those 12 tribes, I'm going to make a nation. And it just keeps getting wider as more and more people come into relationship with God. The problem that we run into in the Old Testament and that Jesus is coming to address is that Israel lost sight of where this crescendo was going. And they thought they were it. Like the music had stopped. It was over. And they were the chosen people of God and that was the end of the story. But in fact, God had always said He wanted to choose Israel in order to reach the whole world. And that the music should keep going, reaching more and more people, including the non-Jewish nations. So you think about what does John say in his gospel in this well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And then it's in Acts chapter 1, he says, and you will be my witnesses, watch the crescendo, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then we hit Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost, and the church is born. And what is the church? It is the multi-ethnic global family of Christ that you and I are part of, reaching more and more people with hope and good news. So Romans chapter 10, Paul is writing this letter to the early church, specifically to these clusters of Christians in the city of Rome, where one of the biggest problems, look what's changed in 2,000 years, one of the biggest problems was trying to get along with everybody else. That's what we're going to see Paul address here. Nothing new under the sun. And the biggest cause of division for them was that the church was made up of people from a Jewish background and those who were Gentiles or non-Jewish. And I don't know what it is about the human condition that we 
put ourselves into two camps so often. And when I originally drafted my notes, I listed very practical, current examples, but then I just scratched all of it because I don't even need to mention it. I mean, just scroll through your social media feed and you've got it. We put people into two camps. And maybe one of the deepest divides we should acknowledge on this Sunday is Vikings or Packers, right? <laughs> there must be a game today. I see the jerseys. And if we can't beat the Bengals, I'm going to be a sad little man. In many spheres, that's a lighthearted example, but you know these deep divisions that exist. We put each other into two camps where it is us against them and the people on the other side we paint in the worst possible colors. This is the noise that's going on around us. And in the early church, they're trying to figure out how to cut through the noise and how to do life together. Even though they have different backgrounds, they do have disagreements. There's nothing wrong with disagreement, but they're serving one Lord. This is what Paul addresses in these chapters. He's saying, here's the deal with Israel. Here's the deal with the Gentiles. And now here's what it means for you to do life together. And so our passage, chapter 10, 1 to 15, is a snapshot of a wider conversation, but it's this critical centerpiece that I want to share with you this morning in three statements. And here's the first of them. I am set in right relationship with God by trusting in Christ. And if you're an outliner, you like to write in your Bible, you could bracket verses 1 through 8. I am set in right relationship with God by trusting in Christ. And do have that text in front of you as we'll glance at it a few times in our study. Verse 1, Paul sets the tone for everything that follows. And he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And I know in my own life, our prayers tell us a lot about what we desire. I know that if I don't pay attention, my prayers can get really rather me-focused, in a hurry. And so I reach the end of the day, and I pause to pray, and God, here's a review of my day and the things that happened. And now if you could take care of X, Y, and Z tomorrow, I would really appreciate it. Amen. And our prayers can gravitate that direction real fast. Now, does God hear those prayers? And does he respond to them? Does he care? Well, yes, he does. But are there even greater things that we can fix our heart to and pray about? Absolutely. Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer is that the Israelites may be saved. And I ask us this morning, do we have this kind of desire for people? Do we pray for the salvation of those who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm reading the verse this week, verse 1 here, feeling convicted and inspired by what Paul says here. Because I realize somehow we can slip into a feeling that church and faith are just not all that urgent. You know, they might be a nice add-on for somebody in their life, but not all that pressing. I can slip into the sense that eternity doesn't actually hang in the balance and that this could just be a nice place to enjoy community and to get to know some people and to instill good values in your kids. But the Bible says that Jesus came to literally save us from death, 
Satan and hell. And if I were to tell you it is anything different, I would not be speaking the message of the Bible to you. That's why Paul's heart and his prayers were for the Israelites, because he knows it is all on the line. He says in verse 2 that the Israelites are zealous for God, but he says it's a zeal without knowledge. In other words, let me just rephrase that. He's saying they're following a religion, but they don't actually know God. And this is so close to Paul's heart because this had been his own story. If you remember from the book of Acts, Paul had been this devout Jewish leader, so devout, so zealous that he was persecuting the followers of Jesus until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And that's when Paul's zeal meets with knowledge and Paul finally knows a relationship with the living God. And so Paul can look back on his own life when he makes this distinction between the righteousness that comes from the law and the righteousness that comes by faith. As Katie said with our kids, righteousness, even for us grown-ups, is a big word and not one that we use in our normal language. So I want to give this definition as well, that righteousness is to be in right standing before God. Righteousness is to be in right standing before God, to be right before Him. When Esther and I were going through the adoption process, one of the documents that we had to get was a letter from the sheriff's department. And the letter had to state that we were in right standing with the law. That there was nothing on our record that would give an adoption agency pause about placing a child into our home. And we had to do the same thing with the bank, now that I think of it. I had to go to the bank and get a letter that says, this couple is in good standing with us as their financial institution. Paul says that there are two ways you can be in right standing with God. He says one of them is by keeping the law, the 613 laws of the Old Testament. The other way you can be in right standing with God is by trusting Jesus as the one who fulfills the law for you. Because there is no way that you could be righteous on your own. Those are your two options. And everything in the Bible is pointing us to that second way. Even the law, the Old Testament, is showing us we can't do it. We need God's intervention. We need His help and His forgiveness. I cannot mend my own fences. And I cannot be in right standing before God on my own merit. So verse 4 sums it up when it says, Christ is the culmination. He's the end, the fulfillment of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jewish? Gentile? Paul says it doesn't matter. I am set in right relationship with God by trusting in Christ. That's the only way. So secondly, in our text this morning, and this would be verses 9 to 13, I am saved by believing in Jesus' resurrection and declaring that He is my Lord. You see how this follows from the first point, right? If I am made right with God by trusting in Christ, we have to ask ourselves, how does that actually happen? What does that look like? 
how does this transaction of trusting and saving take place? As we head into this new week, when you get older, maybe these are the kinds of things that you get excited about. I get to pay off one of my seminary loans this week. So I just cannot wait. I'm excited. Thank you. Twelve years in the making. I cannot think about the interest that somebody earned on that. But I have learned, you know, in this process, I cannot just log online and make my payment, you know, because these characters at the loan company, who knows what they'll do with it. I've got to get on the phone, and I have to tell them, I need you to allocate X amount of dollars and X amount of cents to exactly this loan. And when I do that, then I can have the assurance that it is done and paid for. So my question for you is, how do you know if you're trusting in Christ? If it has actually happened? Verse 9. Paul says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not, you might be saved, not, there's a pretty good chance you'll be saved, but he says you will be saved. And I have been amazed over the years at how often people in this fellowship, in our own church community, have been confused about the assurance of their salvation. I ask our high schoolers, for instance, in confirmation, I ask them exactly this question. What does the gospel mean for you now and when you die? And from time to time, I will hear an answer that goes like this. Well, I'm trying to follow Jesus' example and live a good life, and hopefully someday I'll get to heaven. And do you know why I think that our high school students sometimes answer that way? It's because that's the message that they're hearing from home. It is the default message of the human heart that I have to do certain things in order to get to heaven. But that is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is Jesus saves us and you can know for certain that he has. Here's how. Paul says these two things. By believing in his resurrection. And what does that mean? It means in his saving work that he did for you at the cross and the tomb. And by declaring that he is Lord. He is the king of your life. So you remember how we started this morning? This one first. Believe in your heart. Declare with your mouth. And God will take care of the rest. We'll get to the feet in a second. All right? Believe in your heart. Declare with your mouth. And God takes care of the rest. That is what it means, my brothers and sisters, to trust in Christ. And so may each one of us examine our own hearts at any age that we are at this morning. May each one of us examine our own heart to see if we have done this. Because someone could sit here in church year after year, but not actually place their trust in Christ. And that is, to me, a very scary thing. That you can be religious, 
You can even be zealous and you can miss the whole point. We all stand before God in need of the same thing and that is a right standing that is not our own. Paul says in verse 12, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And I ask you this morning, have you called on him? I didn't ask you if you came to church. I'm asking, have you called on him? Have you believed in your heart? Have you declared with your mouth that he is Lord? Because once you have, your focus can shift to your feet. And that's where we go for the finish. The third and final point of the passage this morning, and this would be your last bracket, 14 to 15. I am sent to bring the good news of Jesus to others. You see, once this vertical relationship between you and God is clear, it gives clarity to how you are to live with those around you, even the ones that drive you crazy. Another way we might sum up this passage is trusting, saved, and sent. So there's now this outward direction to your life. And it's not to go out and put up your dukes and fight, but it is to bring good news to lost and hurting people. And Paul gives this simple chain of thought that he starts in verse 14 when he says, how can people call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone speaking the message? And how can they speak without someone being sent? And then he concludes with this quote from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so you see this morning how we go from heart to mouth to feet. And I want to close this morning by telling you about a friend of mine who is in his 70s. His name is Caesar, and he lives in South Africa. Caesar grew up in what they call apartheid. And that was this time frame in South Africa when people were separated out by their skin color. And there were four groups in South Africa. And the people of color were treated especially poorly. And so that's where my friend Caesar grew up in this volatile time in his nation's history. And he experienced it firsthand. I first met Caesar. We've been together on several occasions at different conferences and things like that. I first met him in upstate New York. And Caesar told the story that evening in chapel about how one day he was walking home as a young teenager. So some of you are there, 13, 14. And he was run over on purpose by a white Afrikaans man. Caesar was left for dead, car didn't stop, and he would spend many months in the hospital recovering. His leg had to be amputated, so Caesar would tell this story. Sometimes he'd sit on the chair with his prosthetic leg set aside and just rubbing that painful nub of a leg he had. And he told me how he would be in the hospital those long months and his heart just burned with hatred for the Afrikaans. But something else happened in those long months in the hospital, and that was 
the surgeon who amputated his leg and who was looking after him was also a white Afrikaans man. And he was kind-hearted and tender. And Caesar says he looked after him for five months like he was his own son. When the day finally came for Caesar to be discharged and to continue his recovery, that surgeon came to give him a parting gift. And do you know what it was? It was a Bible. Caesar had never had a Bible before. He then went to his uncle's farm to continue his recovery. And there, under the orange trees, Caesar read his new Bible. And he started to learn something of this God who loves him and made him and redeemed him. Not only that, but God also in that time in recovery sent Caesar a new friend. And this new friend was also someone who had suffered just as much as Caesar had in his life. And yet his heart was not full of bitterness or anger. But he had this peace and this purpose about him because he was following Jesus. And Caesar knew that that is what he was missing and that is what he needed. And so in his own words, Caesar described it like this. He says, it was at that point, after the accident, after months in the hospital, and after a year on the farm, that I trusted Jesus with my life. God reached down and truly saved me. Caesar Molabazzi would grow up to become the president of the World YMCA and one of the key leaders in making sure that this institution is anchored to its Christian mission. He has told me that he dreams of one day coming to see us in Minnesota in the winter <laughs> so we can teach him to ice fish. So maybe you'll meet him. A remarkable man. My question for you this morning is if you have decided to believe in your heart, declare with your mouth, and go with your feet. It's that simple. It is that profound. And life can be that good. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises of your word and the assurance of our salvation that we can be absolutely certain that we belong to you. And Lord, we pray together for anyone here in this gymnasium this morning who does not have certainty about these things that today and this moment would be the time when they would trust in Christ. And then having believed, Lord, that you would send us out to declare your praises and bear the good news of Jesus to the world around us. We ask that you would do this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.